and welcome to Weddings Unveiled, a podcast for your wedding planning process. I'm your host, Leah Longbreak. We know how exciting and stressful playing the big day can be, and we're here to help, providing you with information and advice from industry insiders and those with firsthand experience. On today's episode, we have Kunbi Odobogan, attorney and public speaker, who will be breaking down what you need to know about your vendor contracts. Kunbi, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to Weddings Unveiled. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. I'm really excited to be here as well. Kunbi, tell us a little bit about your background as a lawyer, as an influencer, and what you have going on right now. Okay, so I'm Kunbi, Kunbi Odubogan. I, um, oh gosh, my background is so extensive. I feel like every time, I think every year we get older, it's just like, oh God, it's been so long since I started doing anything. But um, (laughs) I'm originally from Nigeria and I moved here for college a long time ago in 2003 (laughs) for college. I I found myself in the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, which I'm just always so excited to see and interject into everything. I've been here ever since, and it's been one of those things. I've always known I wanted to be a lawyer. So it was one of those long journeys to becoming a lawyer because I found out when I came to America that you have to have a first degree first, which was shocking. (laughs) (laughs) I guess determination, which is why I'm sure that I really wanted to be a lawyer. I found myself, long story short, in New York. I went to law school in New York, and I have been practicing for 11 years now. I'm just like, between wanting to be a lawyer so long just because I thought the wigs that they wore in Nigeria were <laughs> really cool. You know, those lawyer wigs that they wear like in Europe and like in Africa. I just always thought, <laughs> yeah. okay, this is, the coolness is so much. But clearly, I've been in America long enough to know that that's not what a lawyer is. And <laughs> <laughs> it's been a very exciting journey. And so that's how I be, like, you know, how I got here. In 2012, I found myself immersed in the wedding world because I started a wedding blog when I was planning my own wedding. It was originally called Isle Perfect. And so it was something really, honestly, just to keep me busy with all my thoughts. Also, more importantly, it was something to switch up my monotonous legal life that I was living with law. So I started a wedding blog. It kicked off, started getting like so many readers over the years. And that's how my two worlds connected. All of a sudden, I became a wedding blogger and an attorney. And now I found myself as, you know, being an attorney that caters to a good chunk of wedding industry professionals as well. And you were just speaking at a cater source in Florida. I know you you do a lot with events and wedding planners. It's impressive. Oh, yes. Gosh, like July was really an interesting month. Yes. But I do because, like I said, I would say about 30 percent of my clientele are wedding pros and wedding event industry adjacent people. I find myself always being able to speak, you know, to everything that's going on with them, but also to speak as a, someone in the industry as well. I own a publication, like I said, called Perfect. And so that's actually what I was going to, I was speaking about in um, a cater source. But then sometimes I speak about the other side, which is the legal <laughs> side. So, you know, I'm living many lives. Let's go with that. <laughs> well, let's jump into the legal side. Contracts can be so overwhelming, especially when you're in the middle of planning and especially in the beginning part of planning. What should couples consider when dealing with contracts from a vendor? Anything that they should do before signing? First of all, and I know this is going to sound really like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny, but please read them. Like read those contracts. I think we as a generate, like as a generation and just in general, even have become these people that just scroll to the bottom and sign. 
Mm-hmm. Like we all know about those terms and conditions, right? But like half of the time you're like, okay, what else, what is, what else are they going to say? Or just because you've had a great experience with a vendor and you're, you've kicked it off like verbally or whatever, doesn't mean that you shouldn't read the fine print. It's always really important to just read the fine print, like read about what it is that you are going to be talking, like what it is that you are agreeing to, what it is that the vendor is promising, how much you're going to pay and things like that. Because people always forget that part. And it's what ends up leading to conflict, like big conflict, expensive conflict in the the long run. (laughs) Well, yeah, because in contracts, like you said, in the fine print, there are times where a vendor might say, like, we'll provide this, but we're not going to provide that. And then a couple doesn't realize that. And it's like, oh, I thought you were doing this, too. And it's like, no. It sounds so simple, but it happens so frequently. I know that because it always ends up in front of me or in my email (laughs) because there's conflict happening. But I think... One thing, especially especially with something as special as like your wedding day, is the whole idea that it's like, you know, there's this dream event that's about to happen. So there's a lot of expectations. So much, obviously, because who doesn't want their dream day, right? And so right. you meet someone who does this, and maybe you've seen what they've done for other people, but you shouldn't attach certain expectations to what they're doing for you. And what I mean by this is that, like, like Leah, like you just correctly said, like, Maybe that person paid extra for like, you know, a particular service or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that they're offering that same service to you. So this is why it's really good to have a very great and like clear scope of work, like a list of the services that they will be providing from you. It can't just be oh, general planning services. What does that mean? What is general planning services? General planning services, maybe you expect that general planning services includes like pick up and drop off set up in certain ways or whatever like that. Or in some cases, it could just mean supervision. And you're still expected to provide contract with other people to provide these extra things. Some other people, I have seen situations where the clients have expected that the service was all inclusive. Like they were just going to pay this flat amount and everything will come with it. But that's not how it works. And this is the reason why a contract is important because then you're not relying on a he said, she said situation. Yeah, you know, we talk about budgets a lot on the show and you you mentioned how this could be a very expensive conflict or issue is if you're not reading the fine print, there could be tons of fees and taxes involved that you're not budgeting into your account and they can hurt you also in the end. Yes, and that's the reason why um, for me, typically the kind of conflicts I see with like, you know, vendors and clients, right? It's always that. It's always if you go into the depth of it or if you go into the bottom of it, you see that it's a, it's like crisscrossed expectations of what's going to happen. And then the, the whole thing you always hear with clients is like, oh, well, they scammed me because, you know, this is not the amount of money that I expected to pay. But this is the reason why you need to be very clear and make sure that like the contract, the contract stage of any relationship is like one of the most important stages, even before you start getting into the good stuff, like the cute stuff or the execution. A lot of stuff begins and ends with your contract. Like a lot of conversations begin and end with the contract in that a judge will see it and be like, okay, there's no case here. Or somebody like you might not even get to a judge because there's no case here. So this is the reason why you have to spend a little bit more time now. You're spending a lot of money on your big days. So how about you spend that time and maybe even money in making sure that you've reviewed your contract. You understand exactly what is promised and what is going to be given. And you also understand what happens in the case that like what the steps are in case there is a conflict or if there's an issue, how you iron things out. These things are so important. What's a good key advice for conflict resolution if there is an issue? Well, I I always, I'm the kind of person and I'm sure a bunch of lawyers that are not litigators would tell you this, even the litigators as well, (laughs) those who love to go to court, that you, the whole idea and the reason why you get a lawyer in the first place is because you're trying to avoid court. You're trying to avoid a larger conflict, right? 
So always making sure that like you decide how you would like to handle things from either side, right? And deciding that, okay, we have the opportunity to talk things out. If there is something I as, a client, I as the client have done, do I have an opportunity to cure that before we get into the whole, I'm not offering the service anymore, before, before, this, before the conflict escalates? There should always be some kind of de-escalation option there, at least from the side of the client anyway, that, oh, this is what, okay, maybe for instance, I missed a payment. Is there a grace period in which the payment needs to be made before the, the contract is canceled? Is there any kind of notice I have to have to be able to, you know, like, so that I know maybe it's something I miss. <laughs> I miss payments all the time because I just completely forget that it's I, because <laughs> I haven't set auto payments or something. And it's like, oh, God, I had this. I was supposed to pay this today. So is there something where I can I have an option or the opportunity to cure that before it becomes a bigger issue? Or if I'm not happy with something, is there any way that I can just send an email and let them know that I'm not happy so that maybe the service provider has a chance to cure that before it becomes a situation of I want my money back? It's really important to have those in there. And then obviously also, and this is getting more technical, making sure that your governing law and the jurisdiction is something that you are comfortable with. Like if if there was in fact an issue, do I have the opportunity to sue in or bring it up legally in my own state? Or is this going to be the state and jurisdiction of someone else? Oh, that's a great pro tip. Oh, yes. That's like, it's really important. Like, just make sure you check what the governing law and jurisdiction is. Make sure you've checked what dispute resolution options are there. Some people will have arbitration as the option because that's faster. And that doesn't require as much, you know, legwork, especially for any of the parties. But some people do not, might not prefer that. Maybe arbitration is limiting for you and you wanted, you wanted the opportunity to be able to go into small claims court or something. Check what that language is and make sure you understand how that benefits or causes like disadvantages you in any way. Especially if you're doing a destination wedding. Exactly. That's exactly. And if you're doing a destination wedding or and destination can mean locally or internationally, like if you're or if you're dealing with a vendor that's out of state, just make sure that you are clear as to how that resolution will happen and what your processes and protections are. Should both partners sign all the contracts or does it not really matter? It matters. And I mean, it matters, especially I mean, for the service provider. It definitely matters because you want to make sure that both parties are just as liable if anything happens. But you should understand if you are individually entering that agreement, that you are individually responsible for the consequences of that agreement. So I think that's the beginning and end of that. Like whatever, if you if you go into it individually, know that you are responsible individually. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. COVID obviously changed how things are affected with couples and companies with having to cancel or move wedding dates and other things like act of God, military deployment, et cetera, can happen. So what are some things that couples should consider when it comes to these serious situations? 
we don't want to talk about stuff happening, right? We never want to talk about the bad stuff happening, which is really like it's just it's a disadvantage and it's a very risky move to make because the truth is life happens. And the whole idea is that we're hoping it doesn't, but in the event that it does, there's something documented as to how to proceed, right? Yes. COVID yeah. was a real humbler of persons, for lack of a better phrase. Like it really humbled not just like couples, but like, you know, service professionals as well. And the reason being is that the unexpected really can happen. And even the so-called impossible can. So for couples that are going into these agreements, I know that a lot of them, for you will even find it now, I'm sure you've seen it, Leah, as well, is that um, they're more hesitant now, or if they're not hesitant, at least more cautious in like looking and making sure that, okay, so what is this scenario? What happens here? And so with COVID or like you said, military deployment or any kind of unexpected here, there are clauses that you need to make sure that you're like very hypersensitive to and make sure you understand how it works for or against you. And remember that these are the conversations that you can have with the um, service providers in terms of negotiating what works best for both parties. For instance, once COVID happened last year, the big bell of the ball, as I love to call it, was the force majeure clause, because that's the clause that talks about unexpected, like interrupting forces and unexpected happenings, like major, like unexpected happenings that impact the um, the contract. And so, like, you know, making sure that there is language there that and what the force majeure does it excuses both parties or the or the impacted party more than anybody else from performance at that exact moment because something crazy has happened or something shocking and unexpected or un- unanticipated has happened. And usually, depending on the jurisdiction, they will want you to be specific in your force majeure clause about including language like pandemic, like infestations, or more importantly, beyond even that, which those are acts of God, right? Yeah. But most importantly, government lockdowns, because government interruptions is something, military deployments, things that take the, the capacity out of your hands because something's happened that's interrupted your performance. And so putting those things and making sure they're clear, if you are in the army, if you're in the military in any form, you want to make sure that deployment language is in there because then it's like, you know, it's personal to you and it's including things that could happen like that. And so making sure that that force majeure clause is clear, not only about what a force majeure is, but what happens in the event of a force majeure. I think that's the part that a lot of people kind of move on from because then (laughs) yes you've described what an interrupting event is but okay what the heck happens if that happens is there an interruption do you get do you automatically get a reprieve of some sort or is it can you reschedule without an additional fee for instance and let them know when the rescheduling is and in the event that you do cancel do you get everything but your retainer back or do you get everything back these are the things that you want to make sure are clear at least okay so if i do get deployed how soon do I have to notify the service provider so that I can preserve my contract? When do I have to provide a rescheduling date so let them know that I'll still be moving forward? Things like that, there should be steps so that that is clear and there's no confusion as to what happens next. And with that, also go back into the rescheduling and the date change. The date change and cancellation language should, shouldn't confuse you. It shouldn't have to be something that needs to be explained to you. If it is, then it's not clear enough for you. And if it's, it shouldn't be something that you're now only looking at after the fact. Think about it and look at it immediately. I say, okay, so if I have to postpone, what do I do? If the wedding gets canceled, what do we do? If somebody, what do I have to do in terms of like, you know, if, for instance, there is a government mandate that shrinks my guest size by 100, like 80%, is there a step in place in there? Or is, does that change the terms of my agreement? Does that change my responsibilities in the contract or is it the same look at anything that affects 
the day of the event. So rescheduling, cancellation, is there any special thing that you have to do? Are they expecting you to do anything special in terms of COVID precautions or anything like that? What happens if something happens that we can't continue with this agreement? Do I get the retainer back under any circumstance or is that money gone? This is conversation that needs to start happening because this is like like any other business dealing. An event is a business dealing because money is changing hands with the idea that there's an expectation of something happening. No, that is all such important advice. I hope everyone's just soaking and drinking in because, you know, I heard for the most part that vendors were really cool and really great with with couples when it came to, you know, having to postpone or cancel. But I do know of one situation of a friend who moved her wedding date to this year, a year later. And the one vendor was like, okay, that's great. You know, it's going to be almost exactly a year to the date. But tacked on an extra $3,000 for moving it. <laughs> it was a big argument. And was that in the contract? Obviously. But I, I, I don't think the three grand was in the contract. I think it was like an extra fee. This is where language definitely would be important. Mm-hmm. So like, what, what's the expectation? But an extra three grand for moving it. They weren't getting rid of them. They were just, you know, forced to have to move it mm-hmm. because of this silly pandemic. So... Yeah, that's why I just hope everyone's taking your advice to heart because you don't want to deal with that kind of hassle and lose out on that kind of money. And Exactly. Like, I think that's the thing. And these money conversations always get awkward. Like when it's always and I can imagine that that's shocking for anybody when you start getting these fee tax. Right. After, like, even though it's nowhere discussed in the in the contract and then you start worrying and wondering if it's a penalty. Like, did I do something wrong? Why am I being punished for the pandemic? But then once you understand these things or once they're clear in the contract from the beginning, then there's it's always a crisscross of expectations, in my opinion, especially when these conflicts happen. Because if this was clear from the beginning, there wouldn't be this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, we should be afraid about talking about money. I don't know why money talk is so awkward, but it is. <laughs> it is, it's especially and I, do, I don't I don't want to make it a gender thing, but especially for women. It's bad in general, but I feel like women even more are always like, oh, it's so gauche or you don't want to have that conversation. I found, especially I'm speaking even from my experience, sometimes I find myself very intimidated by having the conversation or not wanting to have to like, you know, I don't want the person to think that I'm <laughs> I'm either broke or taking advantage, one of the other. It's always falls somewhere in between. Like either <laughs> right. broke or just, try, or just a money grabber. So like either way, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. When you're signing a contract, money's on the line. And in some cases, freedom could be on the line as well. So it's really important that you make sure you are very comfortable and there are no surprises. Kundi, you mentioned, you know, obviously, force majeure being a clause. What are other clauses that we should really be paying attention to? I think as, as a couple, your scope of the scope of work of what the service provider is um, performing is really important. It's so, so important that you are both clear. You're both on the same page as to what you're expecting, the deliverables. And also even asking them what it doesn't come with. Don't hesitate to ask, so what do you not provide? So that we are clear as to what the expectations are. Making sure that it's clear how much the it's going to cost you, how much it's going to cost you, how much, when, how free, what is the frequency of your payment schedule? Can I pay in, in X amount? How can I pay? And how much is non-refundable under any circumstance? Is it a deposit? Is it, is it, is it money that I get back? Is it money that is for... Like, or is it a retainer? That language could differ in, in different states for sure. But making sure that it's clear as to what, how much is coming back. If anything happens, what, like, what am I on the hook for? When can I cancel? 
Like that question is so important. When can I cancel? Yeah. When can I notify of a change? When is it too late to cancel and get my money back? When is it, is it okay to reschedule? Is our rescheduling even an option? Who will be providing the service or is it the team that is providing it? So there's no one particular person that I have to like, you know, chase down or anything like that. What are office hours? I find that people, this is even from the service provider's side. It's always great, a great idea to provide like your office hours. So it's clear what your boundaries are legally yes. as well, as well as like, you know, personally. What am I responsible for? What is it that you expect from me as the couple? You will find that there are indemnification clauses in contracts as well, which is one of the standard clauses in a contract as to liability. Like, what am I holding myself harmless from? Like, if a guest does something, am I responsible? I always say that every clause in the contract is responsible, but, but, but the clauses that have that affect your responsibility are very, very important. The responsibility of you and also the responsibility of the other party. So your rescheduling clause, your cancellation clause, because these are like your responsibilities here. What, what, is, what does a client default look like? What does it look like if I screw up and then you have to come for me for something or the other, or this causes a breach of contract? Making sure that those are clear for you are are just so important. Even the clauses that you don't think are as serious, because there's always a section where it's like miscellaneous stuff. But the reason why it's miscellaneous is because it's like you find them in every contract. And that's why it's really important. <laughs> so making sure that you read it from head to toe is so important. And probably a contingency plan as well, right? In the mm-hmm. case of the substitute or in place of something yeah. happening. That's exactly. That's what I was getting at with the, um, who's responsible for what. Because as a service provider as well, which obviously I can speak on, is like it's really important that it's clear as to what happens if you as the service provider are unable to perform. So because the couple wants to see that as well. What happens if the, the this is no what is the contingency plan if something happens? Like who will there be a replacement, a suitable replacement that's there? Will there be a substitute? This is important because then you you understand what's going on. Kumi, what's your advice for couples that are overwhelmed by contracts and the legal jargon that's all involved? <laughs> I think do not hesitate. I think, first of all, it's overwhelming because it's a very important day. It's overwhelming because it's a very, there are very important expectations there. Obviously, I'm a lawyer, so it's easier for me to say that they're a necessity. And so you just have to, it, you have to take it on as a business, like as part of the process of planning a wedding. But more importantly, I think if you're overwhelmed, please do not hesitate to ask a question whether it's through your own legal representation or asking the person that's sending you the contract to explain what the clauses are. Like, ask questions. You're never, like, everybody Everybody wants to sign, right? Everybody wants to move forward and start planning. So I feel like it's never a bother. It shouldn't ever be a bother for you to ask and just be like, okay, read through it, take that part in because it's really important. But then ask them to explain what each clause is so that anything that you are not clear about you want to understand because you don't want a situation where you've signed something and you had no idea about it. Any last piece of advice for couples that are planning their wedding? It's going to be really like rude now for me to say enjoy the process. When I've spoken about contracts up and down, I told you <laughs> that it's such, a, it's such an aggressive part of the process. I think my advice for anybody that's planning um, a wedding is just to know, to get comfortable with knowing what each part is. And it, it can get really complex, but it's just a couple of hours or a couple, it's just like even an hour of your time to get comfortable with knowing what you're getting into, what where your money is going so that you can have much more of a comfortable experience with like, you know, planning the wedding because things will get overwhelming. That's, that's a part of the process because it's such a special and important day. And there's a lot of things in there. I know, I remember how I felt six months into my planning my wedding. I was like, okay, wow, this thing really just changed into something else. 
Like <laughs> after a while, you just get tired. But I think one of the key parts of enjoying your wedding is getting all that ugly stuff out in the beginning so that you can just have this really memorable experience. And just remember that what matters the most is how you feel and how everything feels on that day. Because that's what you always go back and look at is how exactly how you felt on that day. Like, yes, you'll see the pictures, but it's just like, oh, how did I feel? How did my guests feel? And how was this experience for me? Just making sure that you also just take in that experience and allow yourself taking that experience by getting the ugly stuff out in the beginning. I love that. Last question for you. What is your all-time favorite celebrity or royal wedding? Oh, God. All-time favorite royal wedding, I will say, is I go back to the Grace Kelly one. And I don't even, I didn't watch it when I was there. It's not, it's just because I was really obsessed with her dress. And I go back and I just remember how exciting it was. But um, in terms of like more recent, I really loved Meghan Markle and um, Prince Harry's wedding. I did because I am a black woman and I was just really excited to see like, you know, a mixed race black bride walk down the aisle. And I will never, ever, ever, ever forget that choir at the church. Like I think yes. I go back to it sometimes and I cry because that part was just so beautiful. Granted, they treat her like crap now, but that's the point. It was a great <laughs> wedding. <laughs> it was just beautiful. And it was very emotional. So I really enjoyed that. So that's that that particular like it was royal wedding. That was that celebrity wedding. I don't oh God. Like I wish I Beyonce is my favorite celebrity. So I wish I could just peek into her wedding, but I couldn't. But um, <laughs> I think celebrity wedding was probably Gwen Stefani's first wedding. Because oh, I really love the pink. I'm, I'm obsessed with bridal fashion. So those are my two. Like, oh, yeah. But bridal fashion will always get me. Didn't love Meghan Markle's dress. I can say that. But I really love Gwen Stefani's. And so that's those are my two. Well, both have really changed the game as far as like when, when Gwen's came out, you know, mm-hmm. it was so... So different. No one, you know, this Galliano yes. gown, and no one saw the pink. Now it's kind of common. But even it's then, it common, took like yeah. 10 years after her wedding to become like more of a thing. Exactly. Because she was way ahead of so it. out there. Exactly. And I don't know what, it just really rocked my world. I was like, gosh, somebody can actually dare to wear pink. And it was so <laughs> right. her. It was, it was perfect. So that one's always in my head. And then you always have like the royal effect. So like when Kate Middleton's wedding happened, like everyone started started to want lace sleeves. And then with Megan, everyone started wearing clean cuts, slightly off shoulder or boat neck, that like classic lines, you know, it was, they really know how to set the trends. And yeah, with Megan's, I always preferred her second dress, the halter from Stella McCartney when she like exited out and they were like looking like they came from a Bond film. (laughs) That but was, with her it wed- was perfect, yeah. Right? But with her wedding dress, I loved her veil. And I love that they I had like, the veil. different country flowers that was like, around yeah. it. Beautiful. The country from the Commonwealth. That was perfect. The veil was so special. Don't know why the cut of the dress was just like something didn't sit like you know with me. But then, like you said, it still changed. Like it still was a trendsetter. And people still like, you know, we saw the change after that. For sure. Well, Kumi, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. How can we get more information on you and your company? Thank you so much for having me. This was so nice and sweet Like throughout. <laughs> I get really excited about talking law. So this is always like my, my excitement level. But you can find me. I, um, I actually own a contract template shop that sells ready-made legal contracts for the event pros and um, creatives alike. So you can always find me at LegallySet.com or at LegallySet especially if you're looking for like, you know, tips 
on how to protect yourself. And also, for instance, what we talked about today, how to what to look for when you're reading a contract. If you're looking for wedding inspiration of any kind, you can find me at Perfect, P-E-R-F-E-T-E. And that is the name across all social media as well. Well, wonderful. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much, Leah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Weddings Unveiled. Make sure you follow the show on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And follow Weddings Unveiled on social media. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to executive producers David Moss and Gerardo Orlando, production director Bridget Coyne, and audio engineer Eric Holtnow. Don't forget to enjoy the journey.